1: Good
0: morning, this is the California Report and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In the Central Valley yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom was promoting COVID booster shots in a community that's seeing a higher rate of COVID hospitalizations compared to the rest of the state. He also warned about possibly rough pandemic weeks ahead for California. KQED Central Valley reporter Alex Hall has more.
3: During his visit to a vaccine clinic at a high school in Avenal on Tuesday, Newsom urged people to get a booster shot warning that California could soon see an increase in COVID-related deaths as we move into the winter, in part due to waning immunity of the COVID vaccines. But while California pivots its messaging from get vaccinated to get a booster, many here in the Central Valley still haven't gotten their first shot. Less than half of residents living in Kings County have gotten vaccinated at all. Newsom says that's partly because people are making up lies about the vaccine, including elected officials who promote conspiracy theories to their constituents.
0: And the reason I keep coming back over and over and over and over again to the Central Valley is I'm trying to counter that. Uh, And I'm here promoting boosters, not in San Francisco, not in L.A. I'm here in Kings County because I want to remind people that we have something that's free, that's available, it's ubiquitous. It's an abundance that can save your lives.
3: Right now, Kings County has one of the highest per capita COVID-19 hospitalization rates in the state. The governor's office is urging everyone who is eligible to get the booster. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno.
0: It's been nearly a month since the COVID-19 vaccine mandate took effect for Los Angeles municipal employees. And so far, those who haven't received their shot are not getting tested by the city. The vaccination plan called for city workers who aren't vaccinated to be tested twice a week and to pay for that testing out of their own pocket. But the system for administering those COVID tests is still in the process of being set up. The Executive Employee Relations Committee, which negotiates with the city workers unions, is scheduled to meet later today, and the vaccine mandate is on the agenda. More than 11,000 municipal workers in L.A. haven't shown proof of full vaccination, which is required by December 18th. The union, representing thousands of University of California lecturers, says it has reached a tentative five-year deal with UC management and is calling off a two-day strike that was set to start today. The University Council American Federation of Teachers announced the deal was reached early this morning and that the walkout is off and classes that had been set to be canceled because of it are back on today. Union leaders say the agreement will improve job stability, workloads, and compensation. No comment Yet from UC on the proposed deal. Bay Area Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Speer has announced she will not run for re-election after serving in the House of Representatives since 2008. Speer has been an especially powerful voice when it comes to gun control and violence prevention, with her views shaped by a near-death incident in her own life. KQED Politics reporter Guy Maserati has more.
4: Speer had a unique perspective on the debate over gun violence in America. She was a survivor, shot five times in the 1978 Jonestown Massacre in Guyana. A decade later, Speer was a state legislator, pushing an assault weapons ban in the state assembly.
1: One of my colleagues asked me a question and says, Ms. Speer, have you ever shot an assault weapon?
4: Speer's response, as she remembered in a 2018 interview with KQED.
1: Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever been shot by an assault weapon?
4: The assault weapons ban passed in 1989 and was signed by then Governor George Duke Magian.
1: She was a leader in that effort.
4: Back then, Congressman Mike Thompson was Speer's chief of staff.
0: That ban never would have happened had it not been for
4: Jackie Speer. Peter Ambler, the executive director of Giffords, a gun violence prevention advocacy group, says Speer's personal experience made her a powerful advocate.
0: When you look face to face into the eyes of somebody like Jackie Speer, who has experienced gun violence in the most devastating personal terms, it puts an entirely different lens on the experience.
4: In Congress, Spears advocated for legislation to put in place stricter background checks on firearm sales, which passed the House earlier this year. For The California Report, I'm Guy Marzorati.
0: Federal officials held a virtual discussion on the recent supply chain disruptions at the Port of Los Angeles on Tuesday. They were joined by Port of LA Executive Director Gene Siroca, who outlined changes to the number of containers lingering at the shipping hub. Since October 24th, we've seen a 25% drop from about 95,000 containers to 71,000 in the number of import containers on our docks. And cargo sitting nine days or longer has dropped by 29%. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says that the drop is an early but promising sign that recent efforts to mitigate the logjam are working. But a month ago, President Biden announced that the port of L.A. would begin operating 24 hours a day. Here is Buttigieg's response when he was asked why that hasn't happened yet.
4: First of all, let's recognize it's, of course, not flipping a switch. Uh, There are so many players, even just on the grounds of the port.
0: Soroka says the effort to transition to round-the-clock operations will take time. Meanwhile, Governor Gavin Newsom will be joined by the head of the Biden Administration's Supply Chain Disruptions Task Force at the port later today to discuss port congestion and other supply chain issues in California. An hours-long debate was held yesterday over a right-to-housing ordinance introduced by Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg to address homelessness in the city. The proposal would require that those who are unhoused accept shelter when they're offered at least two alternatives. If they decide not to use it, they would be moved, even if they're on public property. Here's Steinberg speaking during last night's meeting. I would like the right-to-housing to be a statewide model. And for this idea to spread beyond Sacramento to other parts of the state, because I believe that in every city and in our state, we're gonna make great progress with the unprecedented financial investments that the governor and the legislature have provided, but we're only gonna go so far unless we are driven by law to do even better than we are currently doing. If approved, the Right to Housing Ordinance would be the first of its kind in the country, and would go into effect beginning in 2023. Civil and disability rights groups have opposed similar proposals for their potential to fine or jail homeless residents or force them to be held in a place they don't want to be, including shelters. Californians, you just aren't conserving enough water. Over the summer, Governor Gavin Newsom asked people to voluntarily cut water use by 15% because of the drought. But in September, we only cut our water use by 3.9%. That's down from 5.1% in August, according to new numbers released by the state. Water experts say many people permanently reduced their water use during past droughts. They say further water conservation will take more time and money to achieve. The year ending in September was the second driest in California's recorded history. Los Angeles County is looking to help small businesses that have fallen behind on their rent during the pandemic. The California Reports' Keith Mizuguchi has the details.
4: The Small Business
0: Rent Relief Program would provide grants of up to $40,000 for small businesses in unincorporated areas of the county. Emilio Salas, executive director of the L.A. County Development Authority, says $7.5 million in federal funding is available.
4: The entrepreneurs that operate these small businesses took the risk of investing in their community and now find themselves at risk of
2: having the pandemic destroy the basic financial stability of their families. Salas
0: says they're focusing on businesses and communities most in need of pandemic and economic relief, relying on risk factors of COVID-19 infection and the ability to recover from the ongoing impacts of the pandemic. Applications will be accepted starting Wednesday morning through November 24th. For the California
4: Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi.
0: In other news, the first in a series of public input meetings is scheduled for today on California's proposed redrawn electoral maps. The state's independent redistricting commission released its preliminary maps last week based on the most recent census. And suffice to say, not everyone is happy. We wanted to learn more about redistricting in California and how the current process is going. So we called up Samina Kamal, a reporter with the news website CalMatters. Our first question, why is redistricting so important?
2: So redistricting is largely about representation. It's about making sure that everyone has equal access to their lawmakers. And because the population changes, we need to make sure that the districts still accurately reflect the communities um, as they change. And let's
0: focus on the congressional level. How is that going right now when it comes to figuring out where to draw these lines, some of the controversies around where the line should be drawn? Is it going pretty well or is it a rocky road?
2: So it's a bit of a rocky road by design. I would say, you know, this process is meant to be very messy. The commission is starting from scratch. They're not looking at prior boundaries. They're not looking at, you know, what the old districts were, they're just taking all of the population data and drawing new lines. And this year, uh, one of the challenges is that California saw slower population growth compared to other states. So we are losing a congressional district. So there's a lot of pressure to ensure that as we are going down a district that how we regroup everyone else, you know, is still fair. And there are a lot of ripple effects from that.
0: Redistricting in this country often collides with issues of race and ethnicities and, you know, uh, communities, uh, sometimes communities of color that want that want to be kept together to keep their voting clout uh, cohesive. Has that been a big issue uh, when you look across the state right now?
2: Yeah, that's been a huge issue and it's partially a good thing. You know, because of this independent commission, one of their main tasks is to collect public comment and to incorporate that comment into their maps, you know, collect the feedback. And so because of that, we are hearing from a lot of different communities about various concerns, pollution in Long Beach to water issues in Northern California and and, you know, cultural communities that uh, have been grouped together may be due to things like redlining, you know, systemic right. discrimination in the past that have sort of brought communities to a certain place, but those communities have never had adequate access to representation. So because of this public input process, you know, a lot of groups for the first time are being able to say, hey, we want to be grouped with, you know, here or with, you know, with these other groups and this is how we vote and this is what we want to see.
0: Yeah, I'll just give a couple of examples that I know of on the local level. I know here in Southern California, like uh, Latinos in Orange County are hoping that they'll get their first Latino supervisor in like in 15 years because of how the lines are redrawn right now. Although Latinos are a huge portion of Orange County's population, they don't have a representative on the board of supervisors. And in Los Angeles, in the city of Los Angeles, I know the Korean population in Koreatown wants to make sure that it is, you know, still remains kind of a cohesive community with voting strength concentrated to represent Korean Americans in the city?
2: Yeah, uh, actually, just today, we saw the National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials issue a statement saying the draft maps don't fully take into account the growth of the Latino population and the electorate since the last census. So, And I think we're likely to hear a lot more of these concerns over the next two weeks as the commission takes public comment on the drafts.
0: And just finally, when is this uh, process supposed to be finished and over with?
2: Yeah, so after this two-week public comment period, the commission will retool the maps some more based on what they hear, and then they have to submit the final versions of the maps to the Secretary of State's office by December 27th so that it can be used for uh, midterms in 2022.
0: All right, Samia Kamal, reporter with CalMatters, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, November 17th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a good day.
4: Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. stanfordhealthcare.org slash care. Hey,
0: it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing...